Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to the final podcast in my series on miracles. We've discussed in the past two podcasts the fact that God does not use miracles merely as a means to authenticate himself to people, although he does do this. But also, God uses his miracles to reveal himself to people who have eyes of faith to see. During our last podcast, we took a look at some of the miracles performed by God in the Old and New Testament that pertain to his ability to heal people. We discussed the fact that obedience to God begins with humility. Like that Syrian officer Naaman, we may not always understand the way that God works. Remember, God's ways are not man's ways. God can use anything, even the Jordan River, to accomplish his tasks. Remember in the story that Naaman almost missed God's miracle of healing entirely because dipping seven times in the Jordan River didn't meet his expectations of how God should cure him. Isn't it frightening to think about how many times our own plans and expectations get in the way of our ability to see God move in miraculous ways? We raise ourselves up too high, and we sometimes ignore the instructions or the warnings of those that God has sent to help us. When we are pleading to God for answers, we need to be careful not to be blinded by our own preconceived notions of what should happen or whom he should send. Today, we're going to talk about the miracle of raising people from the dead. One would think that surely he would believe if you saw someone rise from the dead, right? I mean, <laughs> what more proof do you need? Well, <laughs> Jesus told this interesting story, and it's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, and he was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with that man Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and 
You are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham then replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead, unquote. Leave it to Jesus to mix it up a bit. Um, this was when the Pharisees considered wealth to be a sign of righteousness. They thought that if you were rich, it was because you were good and therefore kind of in thick with God. Now understand in this parable, the rich man didn't go to hell because of his wealth but because he was selfish. And he thought because of his wealth, he was above everyone else. So his heart was hardened in spite of all the blessings that he had. Now, as I talk about this story, remember this is not Lazarus that we're gonna talk about later, the good friend of Jesus. This is a different guy. So this unnamed rich man who is now in hell, he says that he's worried about his five brothers, and he believes that, gosh, if a messenger was sent who had been raised from the dead, and he could go back and warn his brothers about their evil ways, well, then surely they would repent. Do you see where this is going? In the story, we have Abraham telling the guy, look, if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets who talk about loving thy neighbor, why would they believe a guy who rose from the dead? <laughs> the irony. Jesus is actually telling this story while he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. And he's fully aware of the fact that even when he rises from the dead, most of the religious leaders will not accept him. Being set in their ways, neither scripture nor God's son rising from the dead is going to change their minds. So, don't be so sure that everyone would believe just because they see a miracle like someone rising from the dead. What about you? We're going to talk about some miracles about God raising people from the dead. Do you believe? Or do you think that maybe this is some kind of parlor trick? Are you kind of inclined to think, well, maybe they weren't really dead? So just in case you're inclined to think this way, we're going to start this lesson on a New Testament story about a guy named Lazarus, who's a good friend of Jesus. This Lazarus, whose story is told in the New Testament in the Gospel of John, is a friend of Jesus, and he's the brother of Jesus's friends Mary and Martha. Now, in this story, John tells us Lazarus has been dead for four days. Okay, let me repeat that. Lazarus has been dead and buried in a tomb 
for four days. Now, <laughs> this story is told in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Now, let me set this up for you. Jesus has been healing a lot of people. And the way that the story opens up is that Mary and Martha have sent word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is ill. And so Jesus says in John 11, verse 4, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Then the story says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, unquote. What? Does this seem fair? Jesus has the power to heal. In fact, the Bible tells us he's been healing tons of people. And yet here we are. He seems to be taking his time, doesn't he? So the Bible tells us that Jesus stays where he is for two more days. Finally, Jesus says to his disciples that it's time to go. He then tells his disciples that his friend Lazarus is sleeping and it's time to wake him up. So <laughs> the disciples are really encouraged because they think, well, if he's only sleepy, then this is good news, they think. He'll wake up and get better. So John tells us in verses 14 through 15, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him, unquote. Wow, this is hard to take. Jesus knew the pain that Mary and Martha were feeling. He, he loves them, but he still didn't respond right away, did he? But his delay had a purpose. What was it, did you hear? Quote, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. God's timing, especially his delays, are so difficult for us to understand. The delays make us think that God isn't listening to us or that he doesn't care. He isn't answering the way we want him to answer. God has an eternal view of everything. If a delay in responding to our request can help others to believe, to help bring others into his eternal glory, then he will delay. His timing is according to his perfect schedule and purpose, not ours. So let's read what happens next. John 11 verses 17 through 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany is less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss for their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world, unquote. Then later, we have an encounter with Lazarus' other sister, Mary, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, at this point, the gospel writer tells us that Jesus is overcome with sorrow. And in John eleven thirty five, we have the words, Jesus wept. But John tells us that in his sorrow, Jesus is still being criticized. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? John eleven thirty eight through 44 continues. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. And some translations actually say, he stinketh. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off grave clothes and let him go, unquote. And then the Bible tells us that many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and Martha saw this amazing miracle. And so as a result, they put their faith in Christ and believed uh, Jesus is the Son of God. So we see through this miracle that Jesus showed the disciples and the world that he has power over death. However, the Bible tells us that things are not always so neat and tidy. Bible tells us that, yes, many came to believe because of this miraculous sign of God's power over death, but the gospel writer John tells us that some were threatened by this power, and this is in John 11, 46 through 48. 
Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation, unquote. Wow. Even when confronted before their very eyes with the power of Jesus, some refuse to believe. We live in a rebellious world where some will prefer to reject God's word rather than admit that they're wrong. This miracle was inconvenient for some. It was threatening for some. This miracle did not fit neatly into their plans. So what about God's miracle of Christ's death and resurrection, God's greatest miracle? Well, that's the one where he gave his one and only son for us. He became a man who, through his sacrificial death on the cross, overcame the power of death through resurrection on the third day. Jesus paid the ultimate price, the penalty for our sin, and accomplished the miracle of salvation. All four gospel writers attest to the good news that Jesus died on the cross and then three days later rose from the dead and lived among his people for another 40 days before ascending into heaven. Yet, we know that even faced with this fact, there were some who did not believe that he had really died and rose from the dead. In fact, Matthew tells us about this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. This is perhaps one of our first recorded conspiracy theories. The religious elite are really nervous when they hear that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say that his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day, unquote. The religious elite paid off the guards to say that the disciples stole the body. Yeah, it was highly inconvenient for them to have this story circulating that Jesus just might actually be God risen from the dead. This didn't fix their script. They were threatened that this story might get out. And honestly, how many are threatened by this story today? 
John tells us that Thomas, one of the disciples, he wasn't with the others when the resurrected Jesus appeared to them. And they excitedly told Thomas that they had seen Jesus alive. This is told in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and I put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Unquote. How many times have you heard, or perhaps you've even said to yourself, you know, I would believe if only I could see a, a definite sign or a miracle. Jesus says, we're blessed if we can believe without seeing, because there are some who saw and still didn't believe. They saw, but their eyes and their hearts were closed to believing what they were seeing. The Bible tells us we have all the proof that we need. We have the words of the Bible. We have the testimony of believers. We have our very lives as proof that God exists and loves us. I like this quote from the Greatest Miracles website. The true miracle is that God takes you and me, imperfect, messed up, rebellious sinners, and forgives us, lavishes us with grace, undeserved love, adopts us as his own children, and seals us for eternity, all because of the death and resurrection of Christ. I want to end our study on miracles by reading Psalm 19. David is the psalmist who wrote this psalm, and he's just in awe of all of the proof all around him of God's existence, and he marvels at the miracles that he witnesses every day. Now, as I read this, I want you to think of our marching orders that we sometimes call the Great Commission that Jesus gave to all of us, not just some of us, all of us, before he ascended into heaven. Jesus wants us to share the good news to the ends of the earth. He wants us to declare that he's real, 
that he is alive, that he lives in each of us, and that his laws are good. This is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Unquote. So now listen to Psalm 19 and reflect on everything we've learned in our Miracles podcast. And then pray about how you can share this good news with others. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the world, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then... I will be blameless, innocent of my great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Have a blessed day.